right, guys, we're in lesson 16. We're going to be looking at the last section of the two parts of, if you were to divide Leviticus into two parts, the final part is practical holiness. And there was so much there, we had to take it in two sections. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at chapters 23 through the end of the book, which is chapters 27. And we're going to, again, look at some various instructions that he gave concerning things. Also, we're going to see that there is an incident that is recorded. It's a historical narrative. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, at the end, we're going to have give you a couple of questions for you to wrestle with in your groups. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. Again, because there's so much material here, most of it is not fill in the blank. I'm just going to give it to you. Okay? So... The first thing you're going to notice is in chapter 23, verses 1 to 44, he gives instructions concerning the appointed feasts. Now, you need to know that even to this day, the Jews have times when they have appointed feasts that they're supposed to celebrate, okay? When they're supposed to celebrate. And so these are some initial ones that are mentioned here in the law, Later on, you'll see, like in the book of Esther, that they introduce another feast concerning what happened in the book of Esther, Purim. That's a feast time. comes from uh, what we're looking at here. So I, I want you to know that this is something that regulates their lives. They had these appointed times when they were supposed to feast and do all of these things. Now, I'm gonna, after we look at this, I'm going to point out to you something that Paul tells us that you need to be aware of, okay? So first of all, when we look at the appointed feasts in chapter 23, verses 1 to 44, first of all, there's an introduction to what he's talking about in verses 1 to 4. Then verses 5 through 22, he's going to talk about the spring festivals, okay? The spring festivals. So the first one is uh, the Passover, Remember the Passover? That's when they celebrated coming out of Egypt, okay, that meal that they had. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was right after the Passover for a whole week, okay? So that's going to be verses 5 through 14. Then in chapters 23, verses 15 to 22, there's instructions concerning the Feast of Weeks, okay? They had another feast called the Feast of Weeks, so those are the spring festivals. Then there are the fall festivals, okay? These are the fall festivals. We find them in verses 23 to 43, okay? So first of all, there is the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, that's verses 23 through 25. Then you have in verse 26 to 32, the Day of Atonement. Now you should know that day because we talk about that sometimes. That's when... They make sacrifice for the sins of the nation and the priest. That's the one time a year when he goes into the most holy place in front of the mercy seat and sprinkles blood. Okay, it's known as Yom Kippur. It happens around September. Okay, and we should know that from history because in the sixties it was the Yom Kippur War when the Arabs launched an attack on Israel during their Day of Atonement. So this is the feast that we see here. And then the final feast 
in the fall is the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? This is where they remember their journey in living in tents. And so historically what they would do is, is they would go into Jerusalem and set up tents everywhere. Set up tents on top of the house. And for a week they would live in tents. This was a part of the festival. Okay? So you see the instructions concerning this in verses 33 through 43. And then, of course, verse 44 gives a concluding statement when you look there about the appointed feasts of the Lord. Now, in verse in chapter 24, verses 1 to 9, he's going to give some instructions concerning ministry in the tent of meeting. Okay, so... That's the tent where the most holy place in the, and the holy place was. That's where all the, you know, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the, the golden lampstand. Of course, in the most holy place would be where the Ark of the Covenant was. So he gives some specific instructions here concerning what they're supposed to do. So we're not going to go through these, but I'm just going to tell you about them. Verses 1 to 4, he's going to talk about the daily care of the lampstand. So the lampstand always had to be lit, but they had to be cared for because they had, remember, the certain recipe of oil, the olive oil that they were to use for it and so forth. So there would be the daily care of the lampstand. Verses 5 through 9 would be the daily care of the table of showbread. Now, it's a golden table. I don't know that there's much you have to do to care for it, but what it's specifically giving instructions for is concerning the bread that would be put on it. What was to happen with the bread and so forth when it was discarded, okay? Now, this would be very interesting for you to read. So, like, if you're going over into 1 Samuel and you see that David is running from Saul, he goes to the priests at Nob, and he wants food, and they said the only bread that they have is the show bread. This is the bread they're talking about, Okay? So that'll tell you a little bit more about the significance of David taking that bread, should he have taken it. Well, these laws tell you whether or not he should have taken it, okay? And, of course, Jesus mentions later that very incident about God being gracious. Do you understand what I'm saying? Being gracious to David and allowing him to take that bread, okay? All right, so let's go on now. Then we're going to see now the incident. Okay, so let me read you these verses. We're going to look at um, chapter 24 of Leviticus. And we're going to look at verses 10 through 14, first of all. Okay? Chapter 24, verses 10 through 14. Now, the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel. And this Israelite woman's son and the man of the, and a man of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shilometh, the daughter of Debri, the, of the tribe of Dan. Then they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might be shown to them. Okay? Now, let's skip down because there's some instructions from the Lord. But what I want you to see now 
is verse 23. Then Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and they took outside the camp him who cursed and stoned him with stones. So the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded. Okay? So he died. Now I think several things, if you read this passage that stick out to you, first of all, he's half Jewish. His father is what? Egyptian. But that, okay, they, but he's part of the community. But notice how they record him here. They don't say the Israelite, the Jew, you know what I'm saying? They refer to him as what? The son of the Israelite woman. I think that's pretty significant. Do you understand what I'm saying? They don't even mention him by name. They don't mention his name. They just say the son of... So that means he's not fully accepted into the congregation. Okay? But what he does, though, is he does something that creates a significant problem that they don't know what to do. So they arrest him, bring him to Moses, and they want to determine what the Lord's will is. So that's what we're going to talk about here. Okay? So first of all, a man of Israelite Egyptian descent argued with the Israelites and blasphemed God. Okay, so he got in a fight with a guy, got in a fight with an Israelite man, and in the course of the fighting, he blasphemes God. Okay? He blasphemes God. Whatever reason, he decides to do that. Okay? Well, that's a significant thing. So the man was held until the Lord directed what would happen to him. So they held this man, they arrested him, placed him, put him on arrest, guarded him, I'm assuming, and waited till Moses could determine what the will of the Lord was. Because this is a significant thing. So the Lord directed that he would be taken outside of the camp and executed by stoning. This happens even to this day, folks, in the Middle East. There is still execution by stoning. Okay? Still execution by stoning. I had a professor in school, uh, maybe Brad remembers, uh, I, I forgot his name now. I'm getting old. Okay? He would have been there when Brad was there. But he was a theology, missions theology professor, Dr. Rickards. Yes. Dr. Rickards, for 20-some years, was a missionary to North Africa, okay? And primarily in the, in the Arab countries there, ministering the gospel. And he used to joke in class that, you know, he'd been stoned before, and he said, it's not the guy who throws the stone directly at you that you need to worry about, because they don't have a good aim. It's the guy who's throwing it off in another direction. That's the one that hits you. So, all right, so just a little humor, Okay. But the point is, is that they stoned them, okay? And, and this is a significant thing, where the whole congregation comes and stones you. Folks, there's a million of them. There's a million of them. So even if a thousand people showed up and throwed a rock at you, did you know what I'm saying? That's going to, you, you would die, right? Okay. So the Lord directed that he would be taken outside of the camp and executed by stoning. Well, God also uses this opportunity to reinforce some other instructions with them. He wants to reinforce some instructions about retribution. 
about what is just retribution to what goes on. So he's going to go on here. So first of all, here are the laws concerning retribution. We see this in verses 15 through 22. In verse 15, he very clearly says that anyone who curses was to die. Holy cow. We live in a culture today where that is just commonplace. Half the world would be dead, right? God took that very seriously about cursing. Death for cursing. Verse 16, death for blasphemy. Now that's completely different than the cursing. Blaspheming God. Disparaging God in any way, taking away from who he is, resulted in death. Verse 17, he reiterates the issue of murder. There's death for murder. If you kill someone, the, the retribution for killing someone is death. Okay, so this is what he told the Israelite nation. He also points out in verse 18 that there was retribution for killing an animal. He specifies what that retribution was in the scripture there. If you kill an animal... There was retribution, okay? Retribution. Also, there is retribution for disfigurement. Now, okay, so everybody's heard the law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, okay? We usually use that in terms of to support the death penalty, okay? Well, that's because it comes from this passage. But if you really want to specifically know what it means, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, okay? Here's what happens. Let's say, uh, let's say Rob and I are gardeners. Okay, that's a joke because I am not a gardener. My wife will tell you that. But we're working in the garden and I got a shovel and I'm digging with that shovel and I heave back and the end of my shovel hits Rob in the mouth and knocks his front tooth out. So I, it's already out. I didn't do that, Rob. Okay, okay. Well, that's not your front one, Rob. Okay. Well, anyhow, so... I knock out his tooth, so I disfigure his face. The law said, the law of disfigurement was tooth for tooth. Retribution, because he would be like, you've disfigured me. And so he would be allowed to take my tooth. You know what I'm saying? Or an eye. Or, or, or Yes, Lord, what? Uh, they're pretty high-strung people. Did you, do you understand what I'm saying? It was an issue of honor. It was an issue, you know, like we would be like, oh, come on, get over it. But sometimes people get off the handle here too, right? Do, do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes people lose it, but we live in a culture where it's like, okay, get over that. You know what I'm saying? But in their culture where retribution and honor were very important, yeah, you would have to you would you would have to do that. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? You'd have to do and that's true in a lot of cultures around the world to this day. You know what I'm saying? There has to be some sort of retribution. Okay, like for instance, the killing of an animal. You know, when I spent a summer in Kenya, East Africa, I remember very clearly the missionary telling me when we will drive in, be very careful, because if we kill a duck, and in the slums there's no water around, but they would have a duck, you kill a duck. We're going to have to pay for that duck for the next 10 years. Even though that duck would have been dead in a year. You would be paying for whatever baby that duck would have. It's called retribution. 
that's the way, this is the culture that they lived in. So there was retribution for disfigurement. Again, verse 21, this is interesting, the restatement, retribution of for killing an animal was restated. So again, the restatement of if you kill an animal. Now, why would that be so important that he has to keep reiterating that point? Anybody got a clue? Why, why the issue of animals? Because well, they're, they're sheep herders. They're cattle people. They're, this is an agrarian agricultural group of people. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is an agrarian culture. So agriculture and animals are very important. In fact, you know, thinking about Kenya, there are some, some, some tribes in Kenya, they don't care about money or shillings. They care about how many cows you own. That's where your wealth is and how big your herd is. So when you want to get married, you go pay a dowry. Oh, you can marry my daughter. Fifteen cows. Do you know what I'm saying? So you meet a lot of young men who can't marry because they don't own 15 cows to give away. Do you understand? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? So, I don't... I, I, <laughs> uh, oh my goodness, Art. <laughs> Oh, my, Art, Art just said to Mary, you must have came pretty cheap. <laughs> if you didn't hear that, okay. And I'm watching this group over here harassing Shauna. I don't think her dad wants cows. Yeah, he wants no cows. Okay, so, all right. But retribution for killing an animal, that's restated. And again, verse 21, a restatement of murder. Listen, here's how serious it was. Let's say Rob and I are, are um, we're like Abbott and Costello, and we're doing the gardening thing, and, uh, and he's trying to dig with the, and I stick my head down, and he kills me with a shovel. Okay, now my son's laughing about that, okay? He kills me. Well, my family could demand his life, even though it was an accident. By law, I could demand his life. And that still happens today in a lot of cultures. It's a law of retribution. Okay? So then it says in verse 22 that all of these laws are universal for all. Now, what does that mean? Well, all of these laws are for anyone in that nation when they take the promised land, whether they were a stranger or an Israelite. These laws would apply to them there in Canaan. Okay? These laws would apply to them there in Canaan. So, as the Lord commanded, the man was taken outside of the camp and killed by stoning. He was killed by stoning. As had been commanded. Let's go on. In verses... Uh, 20, in chapter 25, verses 1 to 55, he's going to give instructions, we're not going to go through this, concerning the sabbatical year in verses 1 to 7. Now, what is a sabbatical year? Okay, now, does everybody know what the Sabbath is? Everybody know what the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is the one day of rest. It begins on Friday evening 
and goes to Saturday evening. Goes starts Friday after the meal, goes until Saturday after the meal. So everybody, I want you to understand, I don't care what you heard in some church somewhere, because I can remember being told by an aunt of mine, don't do anything on the Sabbath. And she was thinking Sunday. The biblical definition of Sabbath is the Saturday. Particularly Friday night until Saturday night. Okay? But, so now you understand, every, the seventh day is holy. Well, with a sabbatical year, it's the same principle. What do you mean? Well, with a sabbatical year, it's six, when you're working the land, you can take the produce off of it for the first six years, but the seventh year, the land was supposed to rest. That was called the sabbatical year. All right, so they were to give an instructions here. You'll read the instructions there about the land being given to rest. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, in all the years that they were there, they never once did a sabbatical year. Never. In fact, are you ready for this? That's why they ended up doing the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. It tells you very clearly that God held them to account for the sabbatical years by them being in captivity for 70 years. It corresponded with these sabbatical years. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Wow, isn't that? Because he, remember, it was all part of it. They were to keep the covenant. And if they did it, they would be blessed. If they didn't do it, they would be cursed. Okay? Sabbatical year. In verses 8 through 55, he's going to talk about the year of Jubilee. Now, what's the year of Jubilee? Well, every so often they would have the year of Jubilee as prescribed in the law. And in the year of Jubilee, debts would be erased. So let's say... Bruce and I are from the tribe of uh, Benjamin, and I owe him a lot of money through the years, and I've given him my my inheritance. When you talk about inheritance with a Jew, that was land. I've given him my inheritance as collateral and so forth. And when the year of Jubilee came through, everything would be wiped, wiped clean. So the debt I owed him would be gone, and I would get my land back. If I was, okay... Uh, let's say, let's, let's change it a little bit. I sold myself into slavery. I'm Bruce's slave now. The year of Jubilee, as an Israelite, I would be set free. You understand? That was the year when you would do that. Everything would start over. It would be like a clean slate, starting all over again. Wouldn't that be nice? Every seven years, your debts just go away. Year six, you rack them up. Right? No, you, that wouldn't be good, would it? That's not... That's the way they did their culture. And again, let me just go ahead and tell you, they did not do this. It was in the law, but they didn't do it. Okay? Because why didn't they do it? You think Bruce is just going to give up me owing him money? Would you, Bruce? Nah, he said, no way. Yeah, they weren't allowed to charge interest either, but they did, right? Okay, okay. You had your hand up, sir. Well, I mean, 
that's why they didn't do it. But that was what they agreed to, to understand in the law. So they didn't. Yes, it was, yeah, every 50 years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, uh, but something they didn't do. I saw a hand. Who had a hand? Yeah, Gene. He said every 50 years. If you read the text, every 50. Okay. Okay, every 50 years. Oh, I'm sure that would have happened, yes. Yeah. But the problem is, let's say I gave you my land. But the but when the year of Jubilee came, I'd get back my inheritance. Because that but understand the land to the Jews was their inheritance. That will help you to understand what's going on in Palestine right now. They view it as their inheritance. How serious are you about your inheritance? You you would be. If it's significant, right? So they view it as their inheritance. So you get back, because two things were very important to them. Having a male child to carry on the family name to be able to carry on what? The family inheritance. That piece of ground. Did you understand? In the promise land. All right? Did I see a hand? Gene. It goes back to the original person that the land was given to. Okay? All right? Um, and we're going to see this later on with some other things when we get further along in the story where we see these things applied and not applied. Yeah, John, I, you got to speak up, bro, because... Uh, I think later when they went into captivity, yeah. I mean, God ultimately disciplined. They're still being disciplined to this day, John. Do you understand what I'm saying? They still are being disciplined to this day. All right? Because, look, if you really want to understand how God punishes them, well, we're going to look at it. He basically, well, let's go on. I'll show you how. All right? So the covenant blessings and cursings. So here it is, okay? Chapter 26, verses 1 to 46. All right? So first of all, in verses 1 to 2, he gives the fundamentals of the law. So it's basically, this is why we must observe. All right? But let's here's the blessings of obedience. If they did what the law said, verses 1 to 13, he gives several things that would be a blessing. Number one, because again, it's an agrarian culture. So guess what? If you're in Palestine, if you're in, in Israel and Canaan, what's important to you? Rain. So, verses 3 to 5, there's a gift of rain and abundant harvest. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you were a farmer? Especially in that dry, arid uh, climate. Verses 3 to 5. The gift of peace in the land. How would you like to live in the land and not have to worry about any kind of enemies? You would just be peaceful in the land, just enjoying life. That would be wonderful. Gift of peace in the land, verses 6 through 10. Verses 11 through 13, the gift of God's presence. Now, here's the curses. Now, you tell me if this hasn't happened. And the scripture records it throughout the Old Testament and even to this day. Look at the curses of disobedience, verses 14 to 45. Illness, famine, and defeat. 
verses 14 through 17. When you read through the Old Testament from this point on, do you see that in the scripture? Yeah. Drought and a bad harvest. You want to talk about a drought? Talk about that drought that happened during the time of Elijah because they were worshiping the Baals. That's in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, 19, 20. We see that here, the, the curse being listed here in verses 18 through 20. Verse 23 to 26, plagues and oppression by enemies. That's the curses for not being obedient. They're still living those curses to this day, aren't they? Devastation and deportation from the land. Wow. That happened several times. Babylonian captivity, the Roman conquest of Jerusalem and Judah during AD 70 and the spreading of the Jews around the world. And that took place until 1948 when they received the land back. That's in verses 27 to 39. But as always, isn't this, this is what you've got to grasp about the Lord. The Lord may sit there and say, if you do this, and if you do this, this is how I'm going to deal with you. This is the punishment that will exist. This is the chastisement that will take place because you're not listening to me always, and you'll see this throughout the scripture. But if you repent, you'll be restored. If you repent, you'll be restored. And he talks about that in verses 40 to 45. Repentance and the promise of restoration for the people. Hey, and you know what? We know that the scripture foretells that one day they will repent and be restored. When will that take place, folks? When Jesus comes back, right before Jesus comes back, they'll understand whom they have pierced. Do you understand? They'll understand. And that's when everything will be done. They'll be truly repentant then. Okay? Now, the concluding statement we see in verse 46. All right, let's, let's, there's a couple more things here. Let me see here. Oh, yeah. Vows, gifts, and tithes. Vows pertaining, pertaining to the people and animals. First of all, verses 1 to 8 of chapter 27, there's vows concerning persons. So if you want to see what the law says about making vows, you can look at verses 1 to 8 of chapter 27. There's also the vows of animals. All right, that's in verses 9 through 13. The dedication of houses and lands to the Lord is described in verses 14 to 25. So the dedication of houses particularly is in verses 14 and 15. The dedication of lands, verses 16 to 25. Then there are other dues and gifts that are listed. Dues are money things that are to be done for the children of Israel with regards to the tabernacle, verses 26 through 33. And, and we're going to see those things, like first of all, in verses 26 to 27, the firstborn of Israel was to be given to who, folks? The Lord. And the firstborn of animals were to be given to the Lord sacrificially. All right? The issue of things placed under a ban is described here in verses 28 to 29. Now, what is a ban? Well, remember when they were to go into Jericho and they were to kill everyone in Jericho, they were told specifically not to take anything of their valuables. There was a ban in place that all was to be destroyed, 
all the gold, all the silver, whatever, was to be destroyed. And of course, there was one guy by the name of Achan who, who fancied silk from Babylon and some wealth, and he ended up getting stoned later for that, right? Okay? Because he violated the ban. This is the laws concerning the ban here, all right? In verses 28 and 29. Verses 30 to 31, you're going to see the laws concerning tithes, all right? Laws concerning tithes which is the Old Testament law concerning tithes, don't bring it to the New Testament. Okay? I know a lot of preachers want to do that, but they're not. That, they're, that's not proper. That's not good exegesis. Okay? And then the conclusion we see is in verse 34. And so we're done with Leviticus, folks. Isn't that wonderful? You got through Leviticus. You gave up during your devotional time, but we got through it in three weeks. Now you should be able to read it and understand it. Right? Right? 